Hello and welcome to another lecture of Fallen Wisdom. Today I'm going to talk about what I always talk about. How to get into the bliss state and how to stay there. Now we've talked a lot about diet, talked a lot about breathing, talked a lot about letting go of the chatter in your mind, just getting rid of it. We've talked a lot about artistic creation being a very important thing of moving forward on that, not not letting yourself just languish, consuming entertainment, but actually creating something long-lasting, immortal. Working at your craft and always looking for more. The other thing we talked about was learning how to do drugs. Never doing them on a constant wheel progression all the time. Never fall into bad habits with drugs to the point where they become ends in themselves. Drugs are a means to an end. They're a means to another state of being that brings you something, that brings you somewhere of wisdom. If it is just a recreational tool, then it is, or if it's just something to get you through the day like a cup of coffee, then you have to evaluate it. You have to look at it. You have to quit it. You have to go away from it. Particularly when it comes to those that you use to manage your stress. Anything you use to manage stress is going to interfere with your sleep pattern and take away from it. Because it kind of, it mimics sleep on some levels. It pulls certain strings. It steals from your sleep. Especially marijuana. You cannot smoke marijuana seven days a week. You really can't do any drug seven days a week. You need a long period, at least three or four days of nothing. Just so you can reset yourself and so you can become new again to the drug and to the ideas that the drug will inspire. Same is true from any other thing like food is is very important that you understand what food is about. Food is, is feeding tiny microbes in your gut. The human being is nothing short of just a robot for these tiny microbes that happen to be in your gut, microscopic bacteria in your gut and in your brain even. These gut bacteria are the most important things about you. And they need to be diverse. 
And the way to make them diverse is to keep them eating, keep them well fed. And the best way to feed the gut bacteria is fiber. The stuff you can eat, the gut bacteria eats it. So you need to be supplying a lot of it into your gut. This will keep a a very well-prepared gut to absorb nutrients for you, the nutrients you take in. And you want the most diverse form of gut bacteria you can get. So eating things like sauerkraut, which is like a fermented cabbage, has tons of certain bacteria that are very beneficial for your gut. So you should just eat that, a lot of it. You, and it turns out that as you get older, you lose your diversity of your gut bacteria. And people can determine basically your your physiological age by the diversity of your gut bacteria. As you eat more simply, as you keep eating the same foods over and over again, your gut bacteria start to dwindle. And it it turns out that if you want bliss in your life, your gut bacteria has to be much more varied than it is. If you're not blissful now, chances are it started with your gut bacteria. Your gut bacteria is just, it has to be extremely diverse. And the diversity just dwindles as you get, as over time, unless you're very proactive about restocking it. The, the, the way they teach us how to eat is very much reduced to what our body needs, but not what our gut bacteria needs. But our gut bacteria prepare the condition in our gut to absorb the nutrients from the food that our body needs. So they're like a prerequisite. Now, it's very questionable whether you can actually take gut bacteria supplements. I do take them just just in case they do work. But I think that the more important thing is to eat things that are rich in gut bacteria but from what I'm, I used to think yogurt got you there, but from what I'm understanding is yogurt doesn't make it very well past even the stomach and the stomach acid. So in, in terms of replenishing your gut bacteria, it's probably not the best way to go. I mean, the easiest way to go is just to eat a diverse amount of different kinds of foods. But there's also, as I mentioned, sauerkraut and other fermented foods that They almost help replenish the store. But I think the most important thing is just to stay away from processed food, which tends to feed actually the fungal aspects of your gut. And if those fungal aspects of your gut start to proliferate, then you get all kinds of problems. There's a delicate balance in your gut between fungus and bacteria that needs to be at a certain level, needs to be at a certain homeostasis. And when one starts to go over the other, it's a bad thing. 
So the way to keep your gut balanced is by eating fibrous vegetables as much as you can. If you can't eat a big salad a day, try to eat a big plate of vegetables in, in, in its place. Do not go a day without eating a big plate of vegetables. It's just like a grass bed to have your little picnic food on in your gut. Otherwise, you're having food on a hard rock or hard dirt. I don't know if that analogy really extends itself, but you need to keep your gut stocked up with fibrous, fibrous foods. And since the mouth and the, and and humans just are oral fixated and they like to munch on things, if you're if you're sitting in front of the TV, you must be eating something very fibrous. Now it turns out that popcorn has a lot of fiber in it, so it's not the worst thing to eat. Though it will spike your blood sugar and make you store a little bit of fat. But just think about it like this, too. You're living in a period piece. You are. It's like there's going to be a movie about this time period, and you'll be living in it. Look out into the world. Like, aren't you fascinated by that idea? This is your period. These are your contemporaries. They're all going to be long dead. I mean, we know they won't in some other parallel worlds, but in many, they'll be all long dead soon. And also your one version of you or, or many versions of you will be dead long soon. And you don't want to just take a moment and just marvel at just the, the, the sheer just exuberance of being in the middle of your existence this fleeting existence for at least many, many versions of you. And now you're just here enjoying this moment in the middle of your existence. Isn't it a grand thing? Isn't it something to marvel at? And just to be in constant, like, joy over? Apparently not for many. For many, it's drudgery. I mean, just the fact that you're communicating with people in your life, just on the street, these are, your, these are your people. These are your contemporaries. Me being a time traveler, I value it more. Because whenever I slip into a certain time and interact with the people, it's just so, I'm so in awe to interact with people like Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy when I go back, because, you know, I appreciate that they're gone now. They're gone in the future. So when I go back and meet John Kennedy when he's, like, in college, that's a trip. But that's what you're doing now. You know, a lot of these people are just going to be historical figures even. But even if they're not, they're historical figures for some people. Everybody here is a legend on some level. And and just you're in the you're in the presence of them. I don't know. I don't know. You kind of you gotta really get into that and think about that and try to give yourself 
the ability to be in awe of the whole thing. Very important for bliss state. So while you're making sure you're eating all this uh, good foliage, good fiber, you need to also give your stomach a break from eating in the form of a fast. Now, most of it is going to be you sleeping. So most of those hours is at least, you know, seven hours, eight hours of sleep. But the rest of that, when you wake up, I think it's easiest to not eat when you wake up. And to wait as far as you can to, to, to finally eat. Now, some days you're going to want to eat a little earlier. But make no mistake, the longer you wait, the better. And it wouldn't be a bad idea, quite frankly, to go a few days without eating. Really fucking clean yourself out. The body will rid itself of any cancer that might be creeping up. But, and, and then there's even been um, some proven success during chemotherapy of people just fasting through the entire chemotherapy radiation treatment and having much better success than the people who are eating. Because the body becomes a devourer of cancer cells, dead cells, and viruses when it is in a hunger state. So even in those hours that you're waiting during the day before you actually put some food into your mouth after a long period of not eating, your body is hard at work eating anything that it can get get a feeling for, especially after 16 hours. That's when the body really starts to eat on your, your fat stores and your virus stores and your, um, your dead skin and precancerous, I mean, not skin, dead cells and precancerous cells, right in the mitochondria. Because it's, like, extremely healthy to refrain from eating periodically. And it also teaches your body to value the right food. What's interesting about the body is that you would think that when you go really long periods without fasting, even sometimes seven days, people have gone longer even, much longer. I think Jesus went for 40. But the idea is that like, oh, your blood sugar must be really low if you're like fasting for days and days and days. And, and that's, they found that that's not the case. Your body maintains a constant level of blood sugar no matter what you eat. I mean, actually, if you eat sugary things, it spikes your blood sugar, and then it sends it lower than it should be, and then it finally achieves equilibrium after a few hours. But that's, your, that's what your body does in homeostasis. Your body, through homeostasis, adds a certain amount of blood sugar into your blood each day from your fat stores if it's not getting it from your food to keep a certain level of blood sugar in your blood. So you're not low blood sugar when you're fasting. But 
but it's just, it's, it was interesting for me to find that out. See, it's like the idea that you're that you need food for blood sugar is just that's false. Eventually you will because you'll run out of fat stores. That takes a long time, at least 40 days. <laughs> but look, you can just do it every day for like six hours when you wake up, right? Because you've already taken eight hours, another six is what, uh, 14 hours, and then push it. 14 hours is like the easy fast, the harder fast is 16. The more, like, killing of bad stuff in your body fast is, like, 18 to 20. And then when you finally do eat, starting off with some some soup is a good way to go just because it kind of kills the, 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 the crazy hunger that might cause you to eat, like, a whole bucket of something that you shouldn't eat because you're just starving little soup that's not filled with anything too carbohydrate-y is a good way to kind of break the fast and then ease into eating again. And then what you're eating is like, honestly, if you're just eating like a, a diverse kind of group of food, you should try to eat, I believe, without resorting to animal protein, but I recognize it's not always easy to get there, and there's some benefits to eating meat. So I just think you don't need to do it as much because your gut bacteria is is the most important thing. If you have good gut bacteria, you don't need to eat as much meat, and and the thing is, is that good uh, gut bacteria is hurt by meat. Definitely is very acidic in the body. Creates a lot of stomach acid, which hurts hurts your intestinal flora. So you want things that are easy on the on the stomach, and you want things that are not going to be too acidic in the body, so that your gut bacteria is just in a really good like paradise of place so that it then can extract all the nutrients it needs from your just plant-based diet. That's why a lot of people who go vegan, they have a hard time maintaining a healthiness because their gut has been completely destroyed from eating meat and eating all kinds of acidic foods. Foods that cause inflammation. But worse than, honestly, meat is just the processed carbohydrates that gets introduced by so many things, mainly flour into our into our bodies. It's just it's putting everybody into a real finite situation, at least in many parallel world versions of themselves. So you can indulge in it now and then, but understand what it is. It's not food. Okay? You're not eating food. You're eating, you're eating something that is actually subtracting nutrients from your body. Anytime you eat something that has a shelf life, it's because they extracted the nutrients from it because the nutrients are the things that spoil. 
They have to take the nutrients out so the food doesn't spoil on the shelf. So therefore, it becomes a foodstuff that has no nutrients. For it to pass through your body successfully, it must borrow nutrients from your body. Anything that has an extended non-refrigeration shelf life is a nutrition stealer. And you might even, like, want to take one of these. What, you know, they have this new, these new keto bars out there. There's, like, bars that they, they, like they're, they have, like, one gram of sugar. And, like, you wonder, like, and they use a lot of, like, um, fruit and stevia to try to sweeten them. I mean, they're filled with a ton of fat. And they're supposed to be, like, pretty good for you. And the thing is that they, they are better for you than than regular candy bars, for sure. But because they have just this, this total shelf life, they, they don't have a lot of nutrients in them. They, they say there's a lot of protein, you know, maybe there is, but that's about it. And, and protein just by itself without any other vitamins is like, who knows? Do we need as much protein as they're kind of pushing on us? Probably not. We don't need as much as, like, the meat and egg industry would have you believe. And you get plenty of protein from plants. But not in a dried form. Now, of course, food that can be dried out and, like, kept, but not very, very long. Not forever. Certainly not for a year. Anything that lasts a year on a shelf, probably not food anymore. And it's creating a... It's embalming your body. That's what's happening. So you have to be very mindful of Or am I eating something that has a really long shelf life? Find that you'll be much easier staying in the bliss state if you eat vegetable foods. One of the main tools of trying to stay in the bliss state is attention. Your attention must be always asking yourself, am I in the bliss state? And if you're not, you have to interrogate why. Sometimes it just comes down to their breathing pattern. A lot of times it comes down to you're just being stuck in a thought, in a thought loop or in a, in, a, um, in a negative thought trajectory that you, you're doing involuntarily, involuntary thinking. And that involuntary thinking is bringing you to a non-bliss state. So it's important to, like, take always stock of how you're feeling and, and never allow yourself to feel bad. When we were a kid, we wouldn't. When we were a kid, we would not. But somehow, as we grew up, we became inured to a, and the idea that we we're not supposed to be happy, that being a kind of, like, neutral is, is what's normal. And happiness is just for special events. 
and, like, really fun times. But for the most part, life is drudgery. And I think that's something that maybe our capitalistic society has inculcated for the purposes of keeping everybody working and, and not expecting too much. But I think it, we would have had we would have had a much better society, and even a better capitalist society, if people could produce their own bliss. But then again, is that true? I mean, aren't people chasing after some fleeting notion of bliss in this capitalist society by making money the main concern and by making material wealth the the, the end all be all and the goal of everyone? Would, would showing people how to achieve bliss without any money, would it take away from that drive and therefore hurt capitalism? I believe that whether by design or by some kind of fluke coincidence, there's this sense of perpetuation of this despair in people so that they are... They're content to be in despair and they're content to hope that one day their despair will be ended by the acquisition of ungodly wealth. Now the you want you want to get wealthy, then you gotta breathe really deeply. Now if you're not breathing and you get wealth Guess what? That's a curse. That wealth is a demon. And a lot of people find themselves in that situation. They're like, oh, why does that rotten guy have so much money? And the answer is because he's, that, that's his instrument of torture. That's, that's the universe's instrument of torturing that rotten motherfucker, giving him all the money he wants and letting him rot further with it. As Jesus has often said, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go into the eye of a needle. And the reason he said that is because if a rich man is not in heaven before he gets rich, trying to show him the way to get into heaven while he's rich is almost fucking impossible. And by heaven, we mean the bliss state. That's what Jesus always meant. And everybody took him to be speaking of some afterlife, which everybody already believed in. And the way that they've, the way that they've turned around the gospel of Jesus to make it like he is some kind of doorman. Only through me do you get into heaven. No, it's only through doing what I do, what I say you get into heaven. And he's not saying anything that any other sage hasn't said for years on end. Don't worry about wealth. Don't worry about material gain. Worry about keeping your light bulb generated with breathing, attention, staying in the bliss state, and, 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 and trying to impart that bliss state to people by being in the presence of them in it. You will, you will be like a sun shining on others. But you have to be super vigilant, and you can't let yourself sleep. 
Sleep is depression. Anytime you feel a negative emotion, you are in a dream state dreaming of a negative emotion. You need to wake up. Let those negative emotions be your alarm clock. But sometimes it's such a horrible nightmare of negative emotion that you can't wake up. And you can't not believe that it's real. And, like, everybody has those moments and that you're going, to, you're going to be in them. There's nothing you can do in the moment sometimes because you're so consumed by the negative emotion. But a few deep breaths always helps. And even if you don't believe in the moment that it's going to really help your situation, you're wrong, by the way. It will help your situation to a certain extent. It will help you deal with the situation. Now, it can also help erase the situation, too, if that's what you think is something that would be the best for you. The universe will give that to you. You need to do a lot of breathing for that one, a lot. And when you get into the midst of that high-level breathing, you get to such a high level that you will be you will be able to 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 exercise spiritual powers that you didn't believe were possible. Now it turns out talking is a very good form of breathing. That's why I do rap music because rapping is like a breathing exercise unto itself. You're taking in and expelling, you're taking in and expelling more when you're talking than when you're just walking, when you're just sitting around and just kind of breathing normally or breathing out of instinct. When you're breathing, when you're talking, you're, it's a a perfect flow. So a good thing to do is just record yourself. Get on and just record yourself talking to yourself. It might might be fun for you to go back and listen to these tapes, too. So it's a good record of your life. But at the same time, it's a good way to get yourself... It's like talking to a psychiatrist, honestly. It gets all your thoughts out, you feel better, and at the same time, you're breathing. I mean, you can do it in the form of a prayer to God. You can do it in the form of anything you want. But get you, make sure you're talking a lot to something. It doesn't have to be to a person. You don't have to talk anybody's ear off. That's why I, why I do these podcasts. I'm just trying to talk so I can breathe. I can't just be like sitting there, okay, in, out, in, out, in, out. No. So it's a good thing to come up with activities. That's why exercise is such an important activity because it gets you breathing in a much more robust fashion than just walking around. So intense exercise is good, running, biking, anything that gets your breathing up. And, and yes, talking is just it's a, it's a major thing. And it's like that's the reason why psychiatrists do so well is because they get people talking, and sometimes that's the only time that they ever breathe. That hour of the day that they go to the psychiatrist, 
all day long, they're holding their breath before they get there. And you would think that the psychiatrist would be like, hey, let's go over some breathing patterns for you when you're not in the office with me. But no, they, Freud and Freud kind of screwed them over with his whole, like, it's from your childhood. But it's hard to just go back and, and fix your breathing, especially if you've been so hurt by not having it all these years, so scarred in many ways by them shutting down your breathing. That's what society does. It takes an innocent child who breathes very well and shuts down his breathing with disciplinary, harsh words, with with frustration levels. It implants a whole slew of negative emotions, guilt, shame, into the child, and the child eventually internalizes them and doesn't need the outer world to impinge those things anymore. He supplies them himself with his own thoughts, his own rambling thoughts. That's why another good thing that talking does, but also including getting breathing going, is that it stops your mind from shattering. If you're thinking about what you're talking about, your mind is like, is no longer being bombarded by the random floating thoughts of negativity that come when the mind is left to just wander aimlessly, without a direction. That is the source of all unhappiness, is the wandering, aimless mind. And yet we just continue to let it go. I do too. I do even yesterday, even a few hours ago, always catching myself doing it. There's no master at this that is, I can tell you something though, the master that you see, the one who has the most presence to him is the one who's best able to control that part of his brain and to stop it from happening. I do a decent job and I'm getting better and it's a skill. There's no question it's a skill. It should be a skill that's taught in every school by every parent. So much more, I mean, and meditation is a tool to get there, but this is more important than meditation because it can be done without meditation. Meditation is is an intensification of that mode, but you should be essentially meditating as you're walking around, meditating on the, on being in awe of what you are, what you are witnessing, what you are walking through, what you are driving through, and never for a moment losing the fascination with the fact that you're here right now alive. You have to be incredibly in touch with it to the point where you understand that this is a virtual reality experience. You're in a computer simulation and this is real and it's so real that you, that you're in awe of it, but it's all produced by your senses. It's all something that you don't, there's no way to know what the world looks like outside of your senses. Right? It's just a it's just a bag of molecules mixing around. 
if you were looked down from just like that perspective, your senses have defined this entire world for you. Your senses, your senses are like this focusing lens that has taken the chaos that, the, that, that essentially has enveloped everything and formed it into this. You are in a matrix. And this matrix can be taken control of so long as you feel comfortable in it. The more comfortable you feel in it and the more in awe and elated you are in it, the more power you have in it. So you have to understand the sources of your lack of elation. And, and the fucking main one is this chattering thought, this, this raving mind that loves to just be your worst critic. It's your internalized 20th century judging monster rampaging through your mind. And people just call that daydreaming very dangerous, dangerous to the entire society that we're living in right now. People infected by their daydreaming, wandering around seeking relief from the infection, wandering around seeking relief from the incredible anxiety that they've produced inside of themselves by just allowing their minds to wander aimlessly and wondering why they can't ever feel happy. Amidst the fleeting, wandering mind, the very depressing thought of, my God, like, life sucks no matter what. That's why people commit suicide. What's the point of living through that? I can understand that. All you feel is negativity. Why would you stay here? You're not supposed to. That's not what life is. That's not the meaning of life. The meaning of life is not to feel bad all the time. And if you do feel bad all the time, you're not living life correctly. But it it doesn't mean that you can't get there. It just means that you're not orienting yourself right. And it means you're not allowing the bliss to come in because you're allowing for a barrier of aimless, negative, thought-producing mind chatter to form a barrier around yourself so that no bliss can come to you and no fascination and nothing magical about this current reality in front of you can pierce that. That's what's so important about it to understand. Nothing can pierce it once it started going. Once you let it go, it, it shuts off all the bliss. So just understand what it is, what it's doing. You're shutting off bliss. Is your mind shattering? Your bliss is shutting off. Breathing deeply is a way of kind of dispersing your chattering mind. That's why when you sit and do meditation and breathe deeply, it's your, you can kind of observe your chattering mind. There's nothing wrong with observing a chattering mind, but an unobserved chattering mind, very dangerous very, very lethal, killing everybody. Yeah, now granted, eventually they'll figure it out on some parallel universe. But hey, man, why wait for that? Why have so many agonized versions of yourself suffering through just so they can get to a point where they finally realize the truth? Do they have to become like decrepit 
old men before they figure this out? Yes, yes, I know. You can backwards age from your decrepitude to a young state after you realize the truth of bliss. But hey, man, I'm just trying to keep you from getting there first and then having to come back and do a U-turn. I want you to stay young forever. And that's what these lectures are all about. They've always been about that. There's really no point to be here unless you can do that, is what I say. And people are like, oh, no, you should be able to grow old gracefully. You should be able to decay gracefully. I think that's the opposite of graceful. I think decay is something that can be controlled as long as the mind understands how to replenish itself. But it's not as simple as just giving yourself the nutrients you need or giving yourself the pleasure you need or giving yourself the... Well, it is important to give yourself the pleasure you need, but how you arrive at that pleasure is very important. Pleasure that comes through the senses is is not the way to bliss. Bliss is something inside, and it comes from a fascination with one's existence in the moment. And that fascination is there when you're a child, and it gets beaten out of you for disciplinary reasons and for reasons of wanting to make you a, a, a drone, a worker drone, for the, for the general enterprise of capitalism. Now, I'm not some kind of wild-eyed socialist either. I tend to believe that any organized form of government or form of economics was formed precisely to control the excesses that our non-bliss existence has created. I think once we can get everybody back into the bliss state, our society will, re will reorganize in a much different, much more freedom version of it with less money concerning and like more just egalitarian and just less of, there's, there's abundance in this world. And we also have the ability now to move on to other planets and there's abundance there. There's no reason for anybody to be suffering. And just to think that the people in this country who have almost every material, I mean, I'm talking about the people that actually do have all the material wealth they could possibly want, what percentage of them do you think are actually in the bliss state? I would say like 10%. That's pretty bad. And it's, it's, causing, <clears throat> it's causing havoc. It's the reason why people try to become, like, super billionaires, because it's like, well, maybe if I just get more money. And it, they never can get there. They can never understand why they don't feel the bliss. They thought that once they arrived there, they would, and they don't. And it's because you have to recognize where it comes from, and it comes from training your mind to be free of extraneous thoughts free of thoughts that aren't engaged in a particular problem-solving endeavor, free of thoughts that are random, free of thoughts that operate without the control of the thinker. 
that is where bliss, bliss fumes up after you open up the valve, the third eye. That is the third eye. The third eye is the mind empty, the mind without a thought in it except what's coming in in the moment or what's being thought of in the moment, but intently with intention. You can open up that third eye. The bliss starts to just flow in. You open up the third eye by closing the ego, by closing the chattering ego mind that thinks of everything as a personal kind of me versus them. Instead of just being fascinated by the existence that it finds itself in, it's thinking about how to get something, how to, how to become someone, how to become a famous something or whatever. Instead of enjoying how to create art and maybe becoming famous through art, but not because you are seeking fame, because your art, your art is so good that your fame is, is necessary because your art needs to be communicated to a lot of people because it's important. And that's the only condition under which you would want to be famous is if you should be famous by virtue of, like, there's certain people that are, again, just like money, they're famous because the fame is, is the universe's way of torturing them to become enlightened eventually. But if you're enlightened and you have something that's enlightening, then you should be famous so you can impart that and enlighten others. But if, if, you're, if you're not enlightened and you achieve fame, make no mistake, you're a cursed human. You're being cursed. And you'd be best to just back away from that fame. Or you can use it after you achieve the bliss state, and I'm not saying that's impossible for somebody who has fame or money to achieve the bliss state. I just think it's unlikely for them to seek it in a place that it doesn't involve spending more money or doesn't involve using their fame. Very difficult not to use those tools when you have them in your toolbox and to think that those are the only tools that are available to you. People without money tend to be more desperate to try new things to get the bliss state. It's important to just be very vigilant and just make sure you're there. Why, why don't you feel bliss right now? Ask yourself. Well, you know that it's because your thought process has been, been hijacked by your unconscious mind has been, your, your thoughts have been running aimlessly probably for a long period. You know in that time your breathing has slowed down to a trickle. So by increasing your breathing and kind of asking your mind, well, what am I thinking of now? What do I want to think of now? I'm often putting on things to, like podcasts and things, to occupy my mind. so that I can just focus on that instead of focusing on some thought process. And sometimes that helps. But you have to make sure that you're meditatingly 
on that voice and not thinking of other things and kind of splitting your mind between wigging out unconsciously and focusing in on what you're taking in through your ears. You have to be very... You have to be very... um, attentive to what you're listening to or watching. It's another thing. It's like if you're, if you're watching like a, a television show or you're watching a movie, try to shut off everything but the movie. Just do it as an exercise because it teaches you how to do that in life. If you're thinking about a whole bunch of other things and then watching the movie, one, you're missing a lot of the movie. Two, you're, you're basically reinforcing that double think mind that is so damaging and creating all this unhappiness for you and for others. You must be in a bliss state to be a good person to others. You must be in a bliss state to not harm others and to not neglect them in ways that you'll be regretful of later and out of the bliss state over later. You understand? Like you you perpetuate your own non-bliss state the state now. Yes, you weren't in the bliss state then and so this happened and so now you're fucking guilty. And so now you're not in the bliss state now and guess what? You're going to let something else go by the wayside. Then you're going to think about that later, and you're going to be that's going to keep you out of the bliss state in the future, and so on and so forth. You're constantly catching yourself outside the bliss state, harming someone, harming yourself, and then feeling extremely guilty for it, and then getting out of the bliss state again to dwell upon that. And it's just this constant, like, reproachment of oneself. You're forgiven for getting out of the bliss state. You always are forgiven, but the key is you have to get back in. And you have to force yourself back in so that you can be forgiven. You will never be forgiven for getting out of the bliss state if you dwell on it and stay out of the bliss state, dwelling on it, feeling guilty. So, yes, your guilt will come. There's no question, and you can't help it. But you must quickly snap out of it for the sake of being vigilant to the point where you can stay in the bliss state so that it never happens again. If you're really, if you're really regretful about what happened while you were out of the bliss state, then, God damn it, your fucking pledge is to never get out of it so that that never happens again. That's the only way then it'll never happen again. You you cannot stop it from happening again out of willpower. Willpower doesn't exist when you're not in the bliss state. There is no willpower. It completely washes away. Why? Because you're no longer a free being. You're just like a put-upon, hurt, injured animal. That animal has no willpower anymore and cannot stop itself from doing horrible acts cannot stop itself from treating people in horrible ways. So this is serious stuff. You can't just with this, oh, I just got to get out of it. Listen, the bliss state 
can be achieved without any money, without any food, without anything that the mind needs, except just a moment, just to sit back and just stop the thinking, get the breathing going, and become, let the bliss flow in. And then as you're doing that, start to use your eyes and ears and let the enchantment with the moment come in. Let the third eye open. Keep your breathing. Keep your third eye open. Look around. You are God here. You are God. This is your creation. Are you smiling? You should be. You have been brought down here to experience the world you created. That is who you are. You are the universe put into a human body to observe what you, the universe, has created. Everybody that you're coming into contact with is a version of you that you created to amuse yourself. And you're not in awe of that. You're not in awe of your own power that you've done this. And you're not in complete love with every single person that you come into presence with as they are a character in your very carefully constructed reality that you created. It's amazing what you've done here. You've even created this podcast so you can be reminded that you are God. Yes, I'm talking to you. You are God here. What does that mean to you? Can you be petty and egoistic anymore now that you know that? If you knew that for sure, and I could prove it to you mathematically, would that change how you're acting towards other people and how you're treating other people? You're an angel at the very least, you're, and, but at the very most, and I believe this is your world and you've created it. Go for it. See what you can do with it, because it is going off a little off the rails. And I think you can do more than what you're doing. But it starts with generating a positive field. It starts with generating a sun of, of bliss surrounding yourself. And you can transform this entire world now. And that's what you came here to do. I know that's what you came here to do. That's why you're here. Jesus is a version of you, but you are Jesus. You're the Jesus of today. You were the Jesus of Jesus then, and you did a good job then, but now you're back, Jesus. The Savior is here, and it's you. This is Lectures of Fallen Wisdom.